one of my family's favorite activities to do during the summer is to get over in the Smoky Mountains and to get into a creek or to get into a stream or a river. And as you go and get in that freezing cold water, uh, you, you get down and, you know, among the rocks and the, the creek bed. And what you don't see as you're just standing above the water uh, that you can see once you get below the water is that there are fish and things everywhere or all around you, you know. And so we like to, I love to get down and get underneath the water and look and see the, the trout that are swimming there in the water and, and just see how close, see if I can reach out and touch one of them, you know. And, and there's little salamanders and, and little things that are crawdads and things like that that are underneath the water. And as you're doing that, you know, you're just kind of swimming against the stream. And every now and again, you'll reach down and you'll touch the bottom. And, and what happens when you touch the bottom? You, you stir up all the sediment that's there on the bottom, all the dirt that's there on the bottom. And, and all of a sudden, there's this cloud of dirt that's there in front of your face, and you can't see anything until the water washes it on downstream, and it, and it becomes clear again. And every time you do that, the water becomes cloudy, it becomes murky. It stirs everything up. What was comfortable down on the bottom has now been shaken up. And today I want you to understand that sin is like sediment that's on the bottom of our hearts. And God will work in our hearts to stir up that sediment that's settled there in your heart and in my heart. His Holy Spirit will work in your life to stir up that sediment that's settling down in the bottom of your heart. His holy word will, will stir up that sediment that's down inside of your heart and shake it up. He'll use circumstances in your life to stir up that sediment that's settled down in the bottom of your heart. He'll use people in your life to stir up that sediment that's settled down in the bottom of your heart. And today what we learn is that he also uses the law to stir up this sediment that's settled down in our hearts. That sin that was comfortable down on the bottom gets shaken up. And once it gets shaken up, the only way to clear out that settlement is Jesus. He will wash it clean. And before you have a relationship with Jesus as the Holy Spirit or the Word of God or some circumstances that happen in your life or, or some person that God puts in your life begins to speak to you and stir up that sediment that's in your heart, it brings you to a point that you're either going to choose redemption or rebellion. And when you come to that point where everything is stirred up and, and the Lord is speaking to you, you're either going to choose Redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, or you're going to continue further in that rebellion. Now, if you are at a point in your life where you already have a relationship with the Lord, you've already been forgiven of your sins, and we know as Christians that it doesn't mean that you become sin-free. And so I have sediment that's settled in the bottom of my heart that the Lord will stir up within me. He's been doing that this week as I... Listen, I tell people this. Every time that I come and preach on Sunday, God, and you go, boy, that really 
you know, stepped on my toes. Listen, try doing it Monday through Saturday on the week before, okay? So God has been stirring this up in my heart all week long. And as he does that, I, as a follower of Jesus, can either choose revival or rebellion. I can continue to rebel in that sin, or I can allow the Lord to revive my heart and to renew me. And so my prayer today is that God would stir up sin that's settled in your heart. I pray that it's uncomfortable. I pray that God stirs up sin that's settled in your heart. And that today he would stir up pride and apathy. That he would stir up various sins that we have, that we have allowed to settle down into our lives. And that we would choose redemption. That we would choose revival today. So if you have your Bibles open, I'd ask that you'd stand with me in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to continue through our study of the book of Galatians that's called No Other Gospel. Today we're in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Galatians three nineteen, the word of God says, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. So is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, I want us to learn about this gospel redemption. And as we do that today, we're going to look at the purpose of the law, and we're going to look at the purpose of faith, and we'll begin with the purpose of the law. And this is what Paul is asking there in verse 19. He says, why then was the law given? He says, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. And so what is the purpose of the law? As we've been studying now through Galatians, we're in the third chapter of this letter. He has gone out of his way to be clear that the law does not save us. That was what he was addressing with this church there in Galatia as the group of Judaizers had come in and told them that, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law in order to really be saved. You have to become like a Jew and and do the dietary laws and be circumcised and observe the festivals and all those things in order to truly be saved. And Paul's been saying, no, 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 it's not the law, it's not the law. So the natural question is, then why did God give us this law? And what's the point? That's what Paul is asking here. And he says that the law is important because the law names sin. It names sin. 
He says it was added for the sake of transgressions. The law doesn't make us sinners. It exposes our sin that's there. It's like a spotlight that shines on what is hidden in our hearts. And the law says that's not right. The law says that's not in line with the character of God. The law says that doesn't jive with the nature of God. The law says that's not holy. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, listen, he says, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And so he's saying here that what the law does is it names sin. It tells us what is good and what is not good. So the law says that when you steal uh, an Amazon box off your neighbor's porch, that's sin. Uh, the, The law says when you lust after a woman on the internet, that's sin. The law says that when you're filled with pride in your heart, that's sin. The law says when you are unwilling to forgive someone, that's sin. The law says that when you cheat someone in business, that's sin. The law says that when you are gossiping about somebody at school, that's sin. And so it's showing us what is right and what is wrong. The law names sin. But the law also exposes our rebellion. That verse in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7 said, I would not know sin if it weren't for the law. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said don't covet. But the very next verse, Romans chapter 7 verse 8 says, And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind (laughs) and so what he says is you know I wouldn't know that that you're not supposed to covet if the law didn't say that but once I heard that you're not supposed to covet all I wanted to do was covet right I mean that's what he said it exposes this rebellion that's in our hearts and from the beginning man has rebelled against God's authority from the very beginning pages of the Bible Adam and Eve were created by God. They were placed in this paradise in the Garden of Eden. And God gave them one law, one rule to obey. He says, you can eat of all the fruit from the trees of the garden, but do not eat from the tree of this, uh, the fruit of this tree. This is a forbidden fruit for you. He says to them, this is sin. Do not do this. They could eat literally Every other fruit, apples, okay, bananas, okay, oranges, okay, pears, okay, papayas, okay, mangoes, okay, blueberries, okay, grapefruit, okay, cherries, okay, pears, peaches, everything that you could imagine, okay. But what's the one fruit that they ate? The one that they weren't supposed to. And that's because we have rebellion in our hearts. And the law exposes that rebellion even further. The law says, thou shalt not. And we say, oh, watch me. 
the law says this is not good. And we say, I think it's okay. The law says this is sin. And we say this is not sin. We rebel. We rebel against parental authority in our lives. We rebel against the authority of our teachers or coaches or other figures that are in our lives. We rebel against the authority of police and of government. And we even rebel against the authority of an omnipotent, almighty God. And our hearts grow harder and harder and harder. And that law will expose that rebellion that's in our hearts. What's this purpose of the law? The law exposes our need for a savior. It shows us that we are cursed because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Earlier in this book, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And so Paul was pointing them back to their Jewish ancestors for many years before as they were preparing to come into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy chapter 27, this is what God told them. He says in verse 12, when you have crossed the Jordan, going into the promised land, he says, these tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes will stand on Mount Ebal to deliver the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And when you read down through the, through the following verses, they're literally standing on these two mountains with a great valley of decision in between, saying, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. And they're announcing blessings and cursings, back and forth, back and forth. And they are... They are renewing the covenant that they had made with God as they are preparing to enter into the promised land. And at the end of that is what Paul was referring to. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, where he says, Anyone who does not put the words of the law into practice is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. And so he's reminding them of this time that they renewed this covenant with God and that all the people heard the law and they all agreed it was good. They all agreed it was right. But they also knew they couldn't keep it. That we break this law continually. That we break this law constantly. So we are under a curse because of our sin. We need a savior. So when you go back to our passage this morning there in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. He says it was showing us our need for this seed, for this Savior to come and fulfill the promise. What about this promise? Paul has been contrasting the law and the promise all throughout this letter to the Galatians. And he says, are these two things at odds? The law and the promise? In verse 21, that's what he asks. He says, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. He says, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. 
His argument is that the the law and the promise are not at odds because the purpose of the law is not our salvation. He says it wasn't given to us in order to give us life. It was granted to us in order to show us how much we needed the promise. One of the great Disney films um, is The Little Mermaid. You're wondering, why is he watching Little Mermaid? I watched it when I was a kid. And I watched it with all my kids a lot of times. And there's this story about a mermaid who falls in love with a human, and she, she wants to become a human. She wants to, to, to enter into human life. She wants legs and all these things. Well, in the movie, there's a funny scene where her friend Scuttle, who is a seagull, is explaining to her about all these different things that are human uh, tools and instruments and things, things from the human world. He's explaining to her what they are. And so she picks up this thing that is a fork, And you and I know it's a fork, and we see that it's a fork. And she says, what is this? And the seagull turns to her and he goes, that's a dinglehopper. She goes, well, what is a dinglehopper for? We know what a fork is for. It's to eat your food, right? But he turns to her and he goes, the humans use these dinglehoppers to comb their hair and to do all these great things uh, to their hair with it. He had no idea what the fork was for. It would be a terrible comb. In the same way, don't try to use the law for something it wasn't intended to do. Don't use a fork when you really need a comb. And he's saying to us that salvation isn't by the law. Salvation is by our faith in Jesus. So he reveals to us the purpose of the law. But secondly, he shows us the purpose of faith. Verse 22 and 23. He says, Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So the law revealed to us what is sin. It revealed to us our own sinful, rebellious nature. It reveals to us the consequences of sin, that we are under curse because of sin. It reveals to us our need for a Savior who will redeem us from our sin. And he says here that we were imprisoned under sin's power. And when you read through the Bible, it uses words like we were slaves to sin, that we were in chains in sin. But when you go back and look at the promise, the promise covenant that God made with Abraham, the promise was that he would bless him and that he would bless him through the seed, that we would be free, that there would not be cursing, that there would be blessing that would come. And so this promise that God made to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's because he received the curse so that we could receive the blessing of a relationship with God. And all of this law was a shadow that was pointing to the real thing, which is Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 17 says that. It says, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. And that's because Christ kept the law perfectly. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it, to complete it. And so he never gave in to the temptation of sin. He never tried to redefine sin. He never tried to justify sin. He killed sin, and he killed the power of sin through his death and through his resurrection from the grave. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. He says, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this promise is realized through faith in Jesus to all who will believe upon him. Paul continues in verse 24 saying the law then, it was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Now Paul uses a, a, a particular word here. Uh, it's translated as guardian in this translation. Some translations say it, the, the law was our tutor uh, until Christ came. And Those are both kind of the best English words we have. But it doesn't get the fullness of what that word really means. Paul uses here the the Greek word pedagogos. It's translated as guardian. Sometimes it's translated as tutor. And it's talking about this specific job, the pedagogos. And in ancient Rome, there there would have been a slave, a house slave, that's job was to be a caretaker over a child. When a child reached age six, that caretaker would be over the child. He would be their guardian. He'd be their tutor. He would be their instructor. He would be their disciplinarian. He would be all those things in their life until they came of age. And so he would watch them and and go with them as they would go to school, and they would be instructed by Aristotle or Plato or Socrates or whoever, and he would go back over the lessons with them. He would make sure that they were uh, corrected in bad manners and in etiquette and all those sorts of things. This is what the pedagogos did in the life of a child. And so Paul is saying that Christians who have trusted in Jesus, who are going back to the Mosaic law, are like adults who are reverting back to childhood. That if the law is like a pedagogos, then it is by definition not a permanent guardian in our lives. The guardian was supposed to help form a boy until he was a young man. And then his task was fulfilled. And so the law, it helps us to learn a lot, and it corrects us, and it stirs up within us. But his job was to lead us to Christ, who is the teacher. And so what we have learned from our pedagogos, from the law, is that we come to God by faith. Verse 24, he says, so that we could be justified by faith. And that's what our pedagogos has shown us. That all of our works are as filthy rags before God. That righteousness comes by faith, that forgiveness comes by faith, that salvation comes by faith, that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so through faith, we are justified before God, 
because the righteousness of Jesus is credited to us. And we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Our sins are forgiven and they are erased. So in verse 25 and 26, he says, Since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. This is good. He says, just like that young boy would grow up and not need his pedagogos anymore, he says, we are no longer under a guardian once faith came, once Jesus came. The promise is now realized. Once that little boy came of age, then he assumed all the responsibilities of manhood. He's now a man. He's now an heir in the household and is involved in the affairs of the household. And what Paul says here is that since faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, but through faith we are now what? We are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. He says that now that we have received Jesus by faith, we don't need the pedagogos anymore. We are now heirs. We are now sons of God in Christ. We are grown as sons, meaning that we are heirs of the inheritance. And so the law did its job. It showed us the sin in our lives. It showed us our rebellious hearts. It showed us the consequences of our sin. It showed us how we need a Savior. It pointed us to faith. It pointed us to Jesus. And it stirred up that sediment that was on the bottom of your heart. And so today, as you're looking over your life, and I hope that that illustration or analogy really resonates in your heart, that it's a vivid picture of what God is doing even right now, as he's stirring up the sin in your heart. That sin that was comfortable down the bottom is now stirred up. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus as your Savior, you're at a point where you're either going to choose redemption or you're going to choose rebellion. Only Jesus can clear up the sediment. So what are you going to choose today? You can continue down that path of rebellion. You can continue to pile up muck in the bottom of your heart. Continue in sin. Or you can call on the Savior the one who came to earth because he loved us and died for us to pay the price for all of that gunk so that it could be removed as far as the east is from the west and that we could be cleansed and forgiven and called as sons of God in Christ Jesus. That can happen in your heart today. And so in a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and there are going to be leaders that are standing here across the front, and they're there to talk with you and to pray with you about what it means to know Jesus as your Savior and to follow him, to receive this gift of salvation in your heart. And if the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart, stirring up the sediment, then come to Jesus today. Come and call on him for salvation. There are Christians here this morning, and today the sediment's been stirred up in your heart, just like it was in my heart this week. And God, God broke up some things that were there that I didn't even realize were there. And when you get to that point where everything is stirred up, you're at a point where you can either choose revival or you can choose further rebellion. 
And my prayer today is that as God is stirring up these things in your heart through his word, through his Holy Spirit that's speaking into your hearts, even right now, that you wouldn't choose to continue on in sin, that you would confess it to God, that you would choose revival and allow God to work in your life, to draw you closer to him and to to renew you this morning. And so maybe you want to spend some time during this invitation at your seat or here at this altar in prayer calling on God, choosing revival today. But however God is at work in your heart, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we know your word, the Bible tells us that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes what it was set out to do. And so, God, I pray right now that your word would settle and stir up the hearts of the men and women that are across this room, the men and women that are watching online. God, it's bringing us to this point of decision where we can either choose redemption or rebellion. There are people here today that that don't have this relationship with you, Lord, and I pray that today they would call on Jesus and be saved. God, there are Christians in the room, there are Christians that are watching online, and Lord, you are stirring up within them sin in their life, exposing it. And God, today they can either choose revival or rebellion. And God, I pray that we would choose revival this morning. God, do your work in this time in our hearts. God, for those that are here that might be looking for a church home and you're calling them to become part of this family, God, I pray that they would come and to to become part of what you're doing here at Wallace. But God, as you speak to our hearts, may we be obedient to respond in Jesus' name.